All right. Is this thing working? Testing one, two. <laughs> All right. Mic test. Can you hear me? All right. <laughs> Wasn't sure this thing in my jig was working. All right. So, um, it's kind of been a while since I've been up here. I think I've uh, dodged the bullet for six years <laughs> before I had to uh, come back here. Last time I was speaking was when Pastor Julius was still here. So, as you can imagine, it's it's been a while. Uh, John John's already got the slide. You're gonna help me out there, John John, because uh, I'm not sure <laughs> this is gonna what order I'm exactly in. So John John's going to help me with the PowerPoint and then I'm going to start. So as you know, today's uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. And then I have, uh, you see the water bottles in the bowl. And so we'll kind of do some something fun maybe. And then, so, um, <coughs> so just bear with me. Let's open up in a, a word of prayer before uh, I get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've uh, come together in your name. We thank you um, just for the opportunity, opportunity to be with here tonight, just to serve you, to praise you, to worship you. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I ask that uh, as I speak tonight, Lord, that you will just calm my nerves and may you just give me the words to speak. May I uh, present a clear message, Lord, that, that you have, have uh, already prepared for me, Lord. And uh, may everything that we do be to honor and glorify you, Lord. All this we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, I have a little story about uh, at a church business meeting, uh, the congregation's wealthiest member decided to share a portion of his faith story. So the guy gets up and he says, I'm a millionaire, he said. And I attribute it all to the rich blessing of God in my life. I can still remember that turning point in my faith like it was yesterday. I had just earned my first dollar, and I went to a youth meeting that night. The speaker was a missionary who told about his work. I knew that only I had a dollar, one dollar bill, and I had to either give it all to God's work or nothing at all. So at that moment, I decided to give my whole dollar to God. I believe that God blessed that decision, and that is why I am a rich man today. So when he finished and he went and sat back down, the treasurer of the church leaned over and said, that was a wonderful story. I dare you to do it again. <laughs> so, so with that, you probably think, okay, we're going to be talking about giving, and we're going to now... Uh, it's actually about Palm Sunday, which is today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday. So the title of the message is Jesus vs. Religion. So today's Palm Sunday, and as we look at today, we see that it's Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We begin Passion Week when is, that is mentioned in all four of the Gospel records. In John chapter 12, we are dealing with the final week of Jesus Christ's life on earth. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. So almost half of the book of John is dedicated to the final week 
of Jesus' life on earth. If we were to look at the book of Matthew, two-fifths of the gospel are devoted to that final week. And if we look at the book of Mark, it's three-fifths for that final week. And then Luke, uh, a third of the book of Luke, is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. <clears throat> so in all four gospels, there are a total of 89 chapters. Of those 89 chapters, four of those chapters cover the first 30 years of his life, from his birth to the first 30 years, while 85 chapters cover the last three and a half years of his life. And of those 85 chapters, uh, 29 cover the last week. So the little history on what shows the importance that the gospel writers placed on what is called Passion Week. And that's what we're going into this week, called Passion Week. So if we look at John 12, just a little um, backtrack on John 12, Jesus had just recently um, raised Lazarus from the dead. So as we go back, we're going to start with John chapter 12, verse 1. This starts when he's at the house in Bethany where um, Mary washes his feet. So we'll start there. I'm going to get my glasses out. I'm getting old is tough. <laughs> so this is John chapter 12, starting with 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Bethany is about a mile outside of Jerusalem. Um, and this is where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he, Jesus, had raised him from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? Back then, a denarii was, uh, one, one denarii was pretty common to a day's labor. So 300 denarii would be about a year's worth of words. 300 denarii would be a year's worth of labor. So why is this fragrant not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for my day of my burial. For the poor you have always, but me you do not have always. Verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, Lazarus, um, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now, if we look at that verse 9, um, it says, now a great many of the Jews knew he was there. This is from 
when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they were all looking for Lazarus. It says they not only came just because Jesus was there, but because of Lazarus. They wanted to see this man that Jesus had raised from the dead. They wanted to, um, they wanted to see what it was like. It's kind of like us when um, there's a car wreck on the side of the road, and, and you're in the lane where the wreck is. You're in the opposite lane of where the wreck is, but your lane is still stopped because everybody's looking at the wreck on the side of the road. It's kind of like how they wanted to see Lazarus. They, they wanted to see what, who he was. So, uh, and the other interesting thing is, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death. Here, Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, and yet they're wanting to kill him also. And why? Because on the account of him, because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many of the Jews went away. It's mean, if I, when I was looking at the scripture, they, he, they went away uh, from the religion, and they believed in Jesus. They turned to Jesus. And so it's interesting that the, it was the chief priest that plotted to kill Lazarus, because aren't these the religious leaders? Aren't these the ones that, uh, that, that tell us uh, you know, do not kill, thou shalt not kill. And yet, the chief priests are the ones that are plotting to kill Lazarus because of those that are following Jesus. So the, the chief priests and the religious leaders at that time were feeling threatened because of Jesus. The next verse is verse 12, and it goes into the triumphal entry. So uh, the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Here he fulfills the Masonic property, prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. 9. And then verse 16 says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, it wasn't until he was glorified where he already, he already died, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. This is when the disciples uh, understood what this... Uh, passage of scripture from Zechariah was talking about. Then they remembered these things were written about him and they had done these things to him. Um, therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done the sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. When we look at the passage, it's only John that points out there's four different people groups at this time. The first people group are the ones that, that uh, were there with Lazarus, from Lazarus. The second people group is the disciples that they were there witnessing what was going on. And uh, um, 
The other people group was the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time that were there. They were, they were not there to support him. And so they were against him. An interesting note, as we see at, during this time, is that uh, on the Jew- Jewish calendar, when Jesus made his entrance, uh, made his triumphal entry, it was the 10th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. This is the day that the Jewish families would uh, select a lamb that they would sacrifice on the 14th day of the Passover. And it's interesting, on this, this very day, the Lamb of God, this day on the 10th day of Nisan, the Lamb of God is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, presenting himself to the nation of Israel as Messiah and the Son of God. Uh, Jesus entered the city on his own time, enforced the whole issue in order that it might happen exactly on the Passover day when the lambs were being sacrificed. As the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So that day is the 10th of Nisan, and in our calendar, it would be April the 6th, 32 A.D., in God's perfect timing, at the precise time, ordained from eternity, he presented himself to die. The scholars have gone back and looked at the time from when the prophecy was written up until the, the prophecy was fulfilled. And we see that it was exactly on the perfect day, on April 6, 32 A.D., in God's perfect timing. These people that were here, that were uh, at the triumphal entry, these are all religious people. They all came from that region to celebrate the Passover. So if these are people are so religious, why is Jesus more appealing to them than their religion? Let's look at verse 12. John, John, can you go back to 12 for me? The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save now or give salvation now. So Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This multitude, this crowd is a group of a religious people who had come from all uh, cities all around Jerusalem to make sacrifices for Passover. Year after year, they did the same thing. Um, they practiced the same thing every, every year, and these people were clamoring for something more. They were looking for something more other than what their religion had to offer. They were tired of just having religious uh, rituals, and if you look back at uh, that time of, of religion, it was run by the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They had seen or heard about Jesus, and so they started, they started gravitating toward, toward him. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. They are saying, deliver us. Give us something our religion does not give us. Why? Why are they looking for this? Because Jesus is more appealing than religion. Uh, Mark 12:37 says, 
and the common people hear him gladly. They hear Jesus gladly. The religious leaders hated this. They hated Jesus. If we look at Matthew 15, 1 to 9, it says, The scribes and Pharisees were, who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Your tradition, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Um, so if we look at that passage of Scripture, we can see that um, the Pharisees were asking Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands like the tradition of our elders? <clears throat> for back then, uh, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. This was a tradition that the religious uh, leaders came up with. It was the only commandment that was from God was that the, the priest would wash their hands before they ate the holy sacrifice. So... For many years, they came up with their own traditions, their own rituals. And so this is not a ritual or a tradition that comes from God. This is something that they made up. So he answers them, why do you also transgress the commandment? Jesus is asking, why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. So... He curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the command of God no effect by your tradition. So he's telling them, he's showing them that there's already a command. God has already made his command that you are to honor your father and your mother. But they said, it's okay if you don't honor your father or your mother if it comes to, if you give money to the, you know, to the we'll say, to the temple or to the, to the, to the, the leaders. It's okay if you don't do that. So he's, he's calling them out on it. So thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect. Hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? So we see that uh, Isaiah already prophesied about these religious rulers. Um, and it says, The people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So they have their own commandments, they, own their own, they have their own rituals, but these are not commandments of God. These are commandments that they have created to benefit themselves. In Matthew 20, see, we, we see Jesus just unloads on these uh, 
religious leaders. Matthew 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And I'll read a few of these, uh, read a few of these to you. Uh, if you're following me in your Bible, your Bible app, it starts Matthew 23, and uh, I'll start at 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom against heaven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. Woe to you, blind guides who say, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to conform. And then on and on, woe to you, woe to you. So he just hammers them on the things that they are doing that are religious. And so, so what is the difference between the person Jesus and religion? Well, one, religion emphasizes the outward, where Jesus emphasizes on the inward. Jesus was always more concerned with what was going on inside of a person than how a person looked on the outside. Jesus is always about the heart. He said, why, he said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Or from the abundance of the, the mouth, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, two, religion is about what you can't do. Jesus is about what you can do. Religion is about prohibition. Thou shalt not. Rules, regulations, rituals. Uh, Jesus was about come as you are and watch what I can do through your life. Religion puts up barriers. Jesus pulls down barriers. One barrier at, at, during Jesus' time was to get into the temple. Uh, to get into the temple, a Gentile was restricted to the outer court known as the court of the Gentiles. So he could only go a certain part. A Jewish woman could go in just a little bit further. A Jewish male could go in even further. And then the Jewish priest, they could go all the way in. There were, in religion, there's courts and walls to keep people out. Religion is really good at keep, keeping people out. So how different is Jesus than religion? In Matthew 11.28, he said, Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me all. You know what all means in Greek? All. All. All means all. <laughs> so religion says, work your way to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Most religions in this world are all about what you have to do to work your way to God. Things you have to do, prayers you have to say, etc., etc. That is the religion of human achievement. That is not the gospel. I don't know if you've seen on Netflix, there's, there's many documentaries at, on different religions throughout, uh, throughout the world. Uh, some are just downright evil. And so it, it's, it's, that's what's so important to know, you, to know the scriptures, to know the Bible so you can have discernment. Uh, religion says you must do something, a certain work. God says, I've already done it for you. All you have to do is receive the free gift. When you receive this gift, 
There will be a transformation in the process. Um, you became a new creation. For one, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for grace you have been saved uh, through faith and not that of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When you become this new creation, 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if any was, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what do we do with this new life that we have? And we become a new creation. I've set up some water bottles here in a bowl. And I'd like to do a little exercise with you. So feel welcome to come up, grab a bottle. Start making your way forward. Come up, grab a bottle. What you'll do is take a bottle. This bottle is going to represent your life, your service, your trust in God. And you pour what you think is part of your life that you give to the Lord, part of your life that you give to church. <laughs> yeah. Come on up. Come try it. So this water represents the time, your time, your money, your God-given gifts, your talents, serving in the church, uh, etc. What do you do with the amount remains? This is This is... The Lord, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. As people are pouring some of their water, as pour, some people are pouring all of their water, <laughs> we'll get to the, the rest of that. Um, I want to share a story about, not a story, I want to share about the just the vision missionaries that have been coming. I wasn't expecting you guys to fill that whole bowl. <laughs> Everybody gives their whole life to the Lord. I see that. Okay. <laughs> if, in, if you guys, those of us that are starting the vision, minist uh, the, the vision uh, missions training, uh, we've had a couple missionaries come and, and give their testimonies and give their, um, just how God has blessed them and how, how um, just their work that they're doing as a missionary. And as I sit back and I listen to these stories, I, I can't help but, you know, um, be imp impressed and at the same time kind of, uh, Lord, give me this passion that these missionaries have. They come and they just pour their hearts out. They tell us of, of the passion that they have to go to these nations and um, share with Jesus um, the love that Jesus has for them. So um, God does not save us so we can sit, but so we can serve. Um, just as there is no such thing as a non-functioning member of your, our human body, so there ought to be no such thing as a non-functioning member of the body of Christ. If God has saved you from your sin, he has called you to serve him in some way in accordance with your gifts and abilities. So some of you poured everything out. So you have nothing left to remain, but... Those of us that kept some, what you do? What do you do with the amount that remains? 
Okay. John 12, 26 says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, my servant will, also, will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge in your selfish impulses. But serve each other through love. 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Um, there's a, there was a sign of an obituary, and it says, Our church was saddened to learn this week of the death of one of our most valued members, someone else. For many years, as a part of this church, someone else did far more than a, nor than a normal person's share of their work. Whenever, whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, or a meeting to attend, everybody said, let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. Someone else can work with that group. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers. When there was a financial need, everyone assumed someone else would make up the difference. Now someone else is gone. We wonder, what are we going to do? Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who is going to follow it? Who is going to do the things someone else did? When there is an opportunity to serve, remember, we can't depend on someone else anymore. Try putting your name in that. Try putting your name. Now, George is gone. Now, it was common knowledge. George was among the most generous givers. Put your name there. How much are you, how much are you giving to God? How much of your life are you giving to God? How much of your time are you giving to God? How much of your finances, of everything that you have, how much are you giving to God? I, here's a short testimony for me. I grew up in a church being taught how to serve. Um, uh, <clears throat> I had uh, my, my grandfather and my father were both deacons in the church. I remember on Saturday, on some Saturdays, I would go with them to the men's breakfast, and all the and all the men would always come up and and uh, and talk with me and joke with me, and it was uh, it was a good experience just seeing how men serve in a church. Uh, after I got out of high school, I could care less about church. I only went to church on Sundays because. I knew my mom was going to ask if I went or not. So not wanting to disappoint her I would, or lie to her, I would go to church. I would find a church. I would slip in, uh, sit in the back, and slip out right before altar call. I knew it was coming. Many years in going to church, you knew, you knew the routine. I didn't talk to anybody. I just got in. I didn't get involved. I would church hop. I would visit different churches so, so that way I wouldn't really have to get to know anybody. 
I could just um, be that, that silent, I guess, Christian. It wasn't really a Christian walk. That no, and no one would notice I was there. I did not want to be a part of a church or involved in it any way. So when I got here, Pastor Julius was quick to make sure that uh, we were serving. <laughs> so it, it wasn't long. I was there a couple weeks, and he walked up to me, and he says, do you think you can run the transparency projector? I know you millennials probably don't know what that is. <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I can do that. that that's easy, right? Doing the, it's not as easy as you think. You put it on and it's backwards, it's upside down, it's, it's the wrong side. Finally, we got to high tech, we, we got the, 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 the projectors. But then after serving, he increased it. He looked, and then he would come up and say, Pastor Julius would come to me and say, I need you to say the Thanksgiving prayer. And I was petrified. I remember it was probably the shortest prayer in history. <laughs> I went up, I did the short prayer, and then after he kept asking me, do the, doing the, the Thanksgiving prayer, doing the closing prayer, it started getting easier and easier. The other thing, I, uh, as Pastor Julius was encouraging me to, to serve, is one day I walk in and Tita Gina is at the sound booth trying to figure out how to get to the sound, sound working. And I'm like, I said, I think I said something like, do you know how this works or something? And she, she had no clue. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about that, but I put enough car steroids in, I can probably figure it out. So I started serving in that aspect as, as doing the sound booth for uh, if I, uh, when Pastor Julius was here. So are you preventing God from using you? Are you ignoring uh, the call to serve? Romans 12 says, I don't know if it's up there. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, though the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If, prophes if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Favorite in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patience. In tri- patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. And bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Galatians 6 6 says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, will a flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while we're doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. It's good to be reminded that we are one body here. We are a body of Christ. Um, We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. Um, We need to help each other. We are called to serve, not just to be seat warmers. We are called to help each other out, whether it's spiritually or physically. Um, That's almost... That's, I'm nearing the end of my message, so if the youth want to come up and get ready, they can. I have one little story I'd like to share before I finish. Oh, I think they're on their way out. We are to behave like Christians. Yeah, so you can play. Okay. So the story is the story of a little boy. Okay. One Friday afternoon in spring, a young man went out in search of his father. He found him in the backyard, working away in the garden under a sunny, cloudless blue sky. His dad glanced up as the sun approached. The young man looked, young man looked to be deep in thought, confusion written across his face. He stopped in front of his dad and shoved his hands in his pocket. Dad asked his son, why do they call it Good Friday? His father paused his work and wiped his arm across his brow. What do you mean, son? Well, the young man replied, it just doesn't make any sense. Today's Good Friday, the day we remember Jesus' death. People nailed him to a cross. They jammed thorns into his head and pierced his side with a spear. They laughed and pointed at him as he hung there dying, a slow, agonizing death. But he had done nothing wrong. It had to have been horrific. Shouldn't it be called Bad Friday or Awful Friday or the worst Friday in history? I mean, look. I mean, look at the weather today. It's beautiful outside. And all I can think is how it should be cloudy and dreary and miserable 
the way that Friday must have been for Jesus. His father slowly rose to his feet and brushed the dirt off his hands. He gently put a palm on his son's shoulder and looked at him with kindness in his eyes. Son, can I ask you something? His boy shrugged. I guess so. If today you were sent to be nailed to a cross, his father began slowly, and you were going to have thorns jammed into your head and have your side pierced with a spear, if you were going to be laughed at and pointed at while you died a slow, agonizing death, and if you were hanged, not because you were innocent, but because you were guilty, he squeezed his son's shoulder gently. If all those things were true, and someone stepped up and declared that they were going to take your place on that cross today, how would you feel? The young man thought for a moment. I think I'd feel shocked, grateful, amazed that, that when I didn't even deserve it, someone would offer to do something so pure and good for me. His dad smiled. And that's why we call it Good Friday. This story, while simplified in nature, is a beautiful reminder to me that even as we mourn the death of our Savior, we do not mourn as people without hope. This coming week and in just a few days, we'll rejoice over the greatest comeback in history, the day death was de defeated forever. So this week, this Passion Week, as you remember the price that Jesus prayed, paid to save you personally, may you experience gratitude anew at his sacrifice on your behalf. A sacrifice that would become the greatest act of love this, ever, this world has ever known. If we look at a bottle of water, and this represents, this represents our life, this represents Jesus. Jesus emptied it all. He paid it all. He gave all his life for us. As if there's anyone here that has not received the Lord tonight and they would like to give their life to the Lord, as the worship team sings, please come forward and uh, pray with us. If there's anyone that has anything to pray or anyone that needs prayer, please come up and let us pray with you. If there's anyone that wants to join the church, please come. Um, as they sing, this is an invitation to come forward. Um, if you just need prayer and you don't want to pray with Joe or I, please come. Kneel before the cross. If you're, if you're experiencing hardships or, or, or anger or anything that's on your mind, please come. Come now and um, give, your life, give your life to cross to the cross that's my message for tonight uh, I hope you enjoyed it thank you for your time